Now, I know at this point, you're scratching your head thinking, what's going on? We normally sing three songs. We only sing one. Why are you already up there? But we're going to get through this together. It's going to all make sense in the end. Uh, so just, just hang with me. If you've got a Bible, we are going to head to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, reading verses 17 through 22. The verses will also be up on the screens behind me. From that time on, Jesus began to preach... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. When my son was about five years old, I was putting him to bed one night as we did every night and I was tucking him in and, you know, pull the covers up, give him his blanket, his teddy bear and read a Bible verse and say our evening prayer. And it was kind of one of those moments where we were talking and it, it kind of felt, it kind of felt like a spiritual moment. So I looked at him in his big brown eyes and I said, Ryan, do you want to follow Jesus? And he looked back at me and I knew this was just going to be such a special moment. And he looked back at me in my eyes and he said, no, <laughs> which wasn't really the answer I was expecting, quite frankly. And I said, well, why not, Ryan? Why, why, why would you say no? And he looked at me with, with confidence and said, Dad, because I want to go where I want to go. And I thought, I mean, that, that really is the mantra of humanity. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. Now, I suppose at its more extreme level, the reason that we have a war in Ukraine right now is become one just because someone said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Or maybe go to a less extreme example. When you were a kid, if you were like me, maybe one of your friends tried to tell you what to do and you said to them defiantly, well, you're not the boss of me. I belong to myself No one can tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I have rights. But are we really that autonomous? And are we even meant to be? I read a story recently about a fighter pilot who was performing a high-speed maneuver. This pilot went for a steep ascent and ended up flying straight into the ground. They were flying upside down, and they didn't know it. It's a condition called spatial disorientation in which a pilot or a scuba diver has the inability to determine their true position or motion relative to their surroundings. I think that, in some ways, can be a metaphor for the way that we live life. Some of us are flying upside down, and we don't even realize it until we have a catastrophic crash. 
Maybe even someone who loves us deeply tried to warn us of our impending crash. When I was about 18 years old, I remember a very specific moment in my life where I was making some pretty poor decisions, which does happen sometimes around that age. And a friend of mine named Kevin called me, pointed out that I was kind of flying upside down, that I was not honoring God with the way that I lived my life. I was not honoring others. I was being incredibly selfish and I would not listen. And I said, who do you think you are? You can't tell me what to do. I mean, maybe we do think we're our own person. We make up our own minds. No one tells me what to do. But the truth is, every one of us are influenced by someone. For those of us that would call ourselves Christians, we would say, well, yeah, we were influenced by Jesus. But is it possible to use the label Christian, even do religious things, and not actually be following in the way of Christ? Has the word Christian become so thin and diluted and come to mean so many things that it really doesn't mean anything anymore? So we find ourselves in the second week of Lent. Lent is a time of preparation for Easter, the time in which we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ. Lent is a time of looking inward. Lent is a time of slowing down, taking a deep look at our our soul, taking a deep look at our faith. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus uses two very simple words to describe the fullness of what he desires for each one of us. And those two words are the words, follow me. Ironically, Jesus never used the word Christian. The word Christian is only used in the Bible three times, and it's used by outsiders as a label for those who followed Christ, and one time it's even used in a derogatory manner. This group of of people who were following Jesus could no longer be called Jews because Gentiles had been welcomed into their mix. And so what do you call this new religious sect of people? And so the Gentiles started calling them little Christs or Christians because they were all acting like Jesus. This very first group of followers didn't use the name Christian to describe themselves. They did, however, use another word. And the word they used was disciple, which would have been a very familiar term in the day that Jesus walked on the earth. A disciple was simply a student or an apprentice of a rabbi or a teacher. A teacher would show you what they know, you would learn what they, they knew, and you would do what they did. And so in Jesus' day, if you wanted to literally follow him, it meant leaving everything. And so as Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he called out to these men and they gave up everything. They gave up their fishing business, which some say was actually quite prosperous. They weren't just a bunch of poor guys living on the lake. They They were commercial fishermen doing okay. They left their family and there was this weight, this gravity of leaving everything. But they did and they went with him and they did what he did and they learned what he knew. And it ended up not just being 12. There were many that followed Jesus. There were crowds of people. And Jesus kept talking about this thing called the kingdom of God. See, Jesus' message was the same as John the Baptist's message, which we turned to last week as he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. The message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
That, that word repent simply means to change your mind or to have a change of heart. Maybe you've been flying upside down. It's time to turn right side up or you're going to crash. But see, as Jesus uses that word, it doesn't just mean a one-time event. It could also be translated as be repenting, like live your life as an offering of repentance. Because if you're like me, I constantly live with the tension of trying to follow Christ and at the same time being pulled by the influences of this world and the flaws in my own character. I mean, just this week, I came to the office on Wednesday and I like to get here early because it's quiet. And just the older I get, the more I just like things to be quiet. And so I get here really early. No one's in the office yet. And I just... I'm here and I have my coffee and it's good. And I got here and I reached into my bag, reached into my bag to grab my computer. And I realized I left it at home. And before I could even, like, before the emotion and the brain connected, I said a word that I'm not going to say because it's church, there's kids in here. But I said it out loud. Luckily, no one was around. And then I just, like, then I kind of, like, had to repent. And because it was a bad one. And I just had to trust in his grace. Because see, the good news is even when we fall victim to the flaws in our own character or the influences of our own society, the good news is Jesus doesn't cut you from the team. When I was a freshman in high school, I tried out for the freshman basketball team. I went to a really big high school, um, but I got cut. I mean, it didn't help that I was five foot nine, but I got cut and I was so mad. I'm like, this isn't even like JV. This is a freshman team. I can't even make the freshman basketball team. I got cut. I was angry. I was offended and mad. But I wanted to do something, so I joined the wrestling team because they didn't cut anybody. As long as you showed up for practice, you were committed, gave it your best, you were in, you got to wear the uniform, you were on the wrestling team. And what I discovered was joining the wrestling team was really, really easy. The hard part was showing up every day and running the stairs in the pool room of our high school up and down in that humid heat and trying to cut weight and the push-ups and the brutal practices that our coach would put us through because this was the 90s and we still wore garbage bags to sweat and lose weight and it was awful, but I was on the team Becoming a Christian, super easy. The scripture says if you, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you, that's it, you'll be saved. That, that's it, you're in. But following Jesus, like, that's the hard part. Getting on the roll, that's, that's the easy part. But actually, following Christ and his message... See, the second part of his message was this. The kingdom of God has arrived and it's come in the person of the Messiah, namely Jesus himself. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about a place per se, but he was talking about a rule. He was talking about an influence. The kingdom of God is something that happens rather than something that exists. And God, God himself is inviting us to join him in this extraordinary adventure called the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus said things like, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That's the kingdom of God. 
I mean, when I'm in a place of such deep peace with myself and with God that I can actually pray for my enemies and be okay with that, like, yeah, I want that. And Jesus said, I, I'd like you to take some of what you have and give to the needy and the poor. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus also said, when someone offends you, I'd like you to offer them forgiveness. One of his disciples once asked, well, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? And he said, well, I'd like you to forgive them, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which was their way of metaphorically saying, well, always. And when I offer forgiveness, that's the kingdom of God. See, when I live that way, I've become a disciple. Now, we use the word discipleship or spiritual formation. Often it means, like, if we're becoming a disciple, it means we're sitting in a classroom or reading a book or we're in a group or a life group. But the meaning of disciple, at least in the way that Jesus used it, is much more robust. There's a film, it's an older film, but it's a classic, that I think, at least in some ways, captures what discipleship is all about. And I'm going to name the film here in a moment, and if you've not seen it, like your next step this week is to go download it and watch it because it's changed your whole life. But I wonder how many of you have seen the original version of The Karate Kid? Almost everybody, right? If you didn't, well, you know what you need to do this week. Daniel LaRusso gets beat up by Cobra Kai, and so Mr. Miyagi comes and saves him, and there's going to be this all-valley tournament, and, and Daniel's going to get entered, and Mr. Miyagi is going to, to teach him in the way of Miyagi-Do karate. But he doesn't just teach him karate. He teaches him a way of life. He teaches him a way of being in the world. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, and Daniel gets frustrated, and you know, we all know, Daniel-san, wax on, wax off, wax on. Show me, scrub the floor. I mean, he, he teaches them all these lessons in life and sometimes Daniel messes up and Mr. Miyagi has to correct him, but it was no different for the disciples of Jesus. Those guys weren't perfect either because they were guys like you and me. There are multiple instances in the Gospels where they do crazy things. Like there's one scenario in which Jesus was teaching and he was rejected by a whole village. And Jesus' disciples say to him, Lord, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and just burn the whole village up? And Jesus just shakes his head and I can see him saying, you guys didn't hear a word I said, did you? Another instance, shortly before Jesus is crucified, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples from which we get communion of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, showing them how to serve one another. And in the midst of that, some of his disciples are arguing over which one of them is the greatest, which one is the best, which one gets to be captain of the team. And again, I think Jesus just shakes his head. And then when it really matters, when Jesus is crucified, when it really counts, they all desert him. And yet, there was something about Jesus that they left everything that day on the Sea of Galilee to follow him. There was something so compelling. That invitation to follow me echoes through 2,000 years of history and lands right here today with us. Will you follow me? And we're already, we all follow something, right? We follow others on social media. We follow the news. A kid might have a following amongst their friends. The back of a van might say, follow me to Moe's bar. A cult leader has a following. My wife often tells me I'm following the car in front of me too closely. 
But following Jesus is so much more than using the word Christian as an adjective to describe something that we do or believe. See, what Jesus is asking first is that we would, we would just come and be with him. In the Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Remain in me as I remain in you. Like, this is the language of relationship. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't have religion. I have relationship with God. And we describe it in different ways. We say things like, I asked Jesus into my heart. I made a profession of faith. I accepted Jesus. And what I'm saying is I'm, I'm beginning something. I'm beginning a relationship that I did not previously have. And one of the defining characteristics of that relationship is that I will spend time with that person because that is the parameter of a relationship. 23, 23 years ago, I met Richard Simmons, like the Richard Simmons. He gave me a cookbook. It's a long story. Um, I still have it. But I met him for like five minutes in Burbank, California. Now, I can't tell you that I have a relationship with Richard Simmons or a friendship because I met him for five minutes. After that, I never saw him again, right? But I met him. It was cool. It was interesting. Fun guy. But I never spent time with him, so I could never claim to have a relationship. Following Jesus is assumed that I'm going to spend time with him and be influenced by him. Because we're all influenced by someone. I've been influenced by some of my friends to do things I might not normally do. One time one of my friends named Chris convinced me to ride down a double black diamond in Colorado on my snowboard. Uh, it didn't end well, but I did it. Another time, a friend of mine convinced me that fried grasshoppers were good, so I tried some. They were actually pretty salty and good. Another friend of mine convinced me to go on a trip with him to the Democratic Republic of Congo during an active war, which my wife was not happy about, but I went. It was stupid, but I went. Jesus sometimes influences us to do things we might not naturally do. For five years, I conducted chapel services in prisons. I've been to death row. I've been to one of the worst sexual offender prisons in the country. And I went because Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. I spent a year volunteering on the cancer floor at Children's Hospital every Thursday I went, which was hard. And I went because Jesus said I was sick and you visited me. My wife and I sponsor some kids in a third world country and we take some of our money, not because we got money laying everywhere, but we hear the words of Jesus, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. That's the kingdom of God. Following Jesus means being influenced by him and sometimes it means doing things I might not naturally or normally do and it transforms who we are. Because listen, I... Like, I'm a different person than I was 20 years ago. I used to have an incredible temper. Um, some tell me it's because I'm half Irish, half Italian. I don't, I can't blame it on my family of origin. But I just, I had a bad temper. But when I met Christ, something slowly began to happen, and I just don't really use, lose my temper all that much anymore. I was incredibly selfish with my time and my money, but I started following Jesus and something happened to me. Slowly, but it happened. The more that I was with him and trusted him, 
the more I changed. Because really, in the New Testament, when I use the word faith, when the New Testament uses the word faith, it has much more to do with trust than it does believing in something. Because you can believe something and not have it affect your life at all. Every six months, I go to the dentist, and every six months, I sit in the chair, and the hygienist looks at my teeth and gives me the flossing lecture. Clearly, you've not been flossing. Nope, I haven't. Then I get all of the bad things that are going to happen to my gums, and I get really nervous and scared about all the crazy procedures they're going to have to do because I don't floss, and so I walk out of there once again with the determined commitment to floss every day, and it lasts for about a day, and then I'm right back to the old habits. Because while I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe you should floss every day, Every day, I believe it works. I believe it's good. I believe you should buy spools of floss. I don't. I don't really trust it because I'm obviously not doing it. Because if I really trusted it, that I needed to do, I would. I would do it. See, when I move from believing to trust, it transforms who I am, and I trust even when there is misunderstanding between my expectations. In Christ's expectations. Because I think there's a lot of us that are going to be surprised when we get to heaven. The things that we thought were so important really aren't that important. And the things we didn't think were all that important were actually really important. There's a scenario in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1. Jesus has died. His disciples saw him buried. And now he's been resurrected, raised from the dead. Like for me, like if, if I saw a guy die and was buried, then I saw him alive again. Like, that would, that would be enough for me. I'd be pretty convinced. But they gather around him. He's standing there. And in chapter 1, verse 6, the, the author writes, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that statement was actually a very political statement. Because what they were asking is, Jesus, are you now going to, via a violent coup, overthrow the Roman government and replace it with the theocracy in which we, the Jews, are in charge. Because that's what we want. And Jesus, again, I could just see him shaking his head thinking, you didn't listen to a word I said, did you? And they were surprised because that's not what happened. Their expectation of the reality of what the kingdom of God was all about was very different than what Jesus talked about. And yet they still trusted Christ and they turned the world upside down with extraordinary love. Even when they ho- what they hoped for did not happen, But they were okay because they had trust, not just belief. So often my prayer is, Lord, this doesn't make sense, but I still trust you. Because following Christ is trusting him and responding in obedience. Now some of us grimace at that word, like that word obedience. It's been misused for sure. But what we read in the Gospels are, Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commands. In Luke chapter 6, he says, why do you you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? Luke chapter 11, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He's not talking about obeying a church or a pastor. He's talking about himself. Because our life is governed by what we actually believe. And I can tell you what you really believe by simply observing the way that you live. And so do I, do I really want to be a disciple? Or do I just want to feel better and get rid of some guilty feelings? 
Because as a disciple of Jesus, I, that's a choice I make. He receives me in grace. He wants my flourishing. He wants your flourishing. And he desires that I learn to live as a participant in the kingdom of God. Not just obeying a bunch of rules. The whole of my existence is a focus on being like him. So if I lived as Jesus would live were he me, how would Jesus love his spouse? How would Jesus raise his kids? How would Jesus work if he were a nurse? How would Jesus run a business? How would Jesus be a customer or a coworker? How would Jesus behave if he were at a parent-teacher conference or a board meeting? Because if Christianity is just some idealistic philosophy to be talked about at church and then forgotten the moment I step into the grocery store on the way home, then why bother? I find Jesus and his vision of the kingdom of God compelling. And when I read the Sermon on the Mount, something inside of me says, yes. This is how it's supposed to be. I was flying upside down for a long, long time. And so I conclude with this question. Am I going to follow Christ or simply be content with showing up at church once in a while, taking some notes, feeling bad about myself and some of the things I do, and then retreat back to what is comfortable? Or am I going to respond to Jesus' invitation to the extraordinary? I'm going to ask our worship team uh, to come back, and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs to close, not just one. See, I mess with you. I'd just keep you on your toes. I've got three next steps for this week that I want to challenge all of us in. At Northbrook, one of our values is taking next steps with God. And so first, maybe, maybe you're here this weekend, and you've actually never really said yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Maybe you've even been going to church for a long time, but you've never actually said yes. And really, it's pretty simple. Yep, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do my best to live the way of the kingdom. For others of us, I want to challenge you this week to read the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. It is Jesus' kind of most compelling vision of what the kingdom of God is all about. And finally, there's a third challenge I want to extend this week, and uh, it's kind of an all-church challenge. You know, we're in Lent, and the tradition that I grew up in, for Lent we always gave something up, like chocolate or junk food. I used to try and give up school, but my mom wouldn't let me. But we always had to give up something. And so when you walked in, you were handed this card. And so here's going to be my challenge for the rest of Lent for all of us, myself included in this. I want to challenge Northbrook to a entertainment media fast. Once a week on Monday, here's my challenge. No social media, no TV, no Netflix, no news, none of that. And just take some space and be with God. On the back of this card, there are some suggestions that you could do in replacing of that. Um, listen, it's, uh, I know it's, I, I like to go home at night and binge Netflix. I do, so it's going to be a challenge, but every Monday, just kind of put that aside and allow my soul to get a break from all that noise and concentrate more on him. So I hope you'll join me in that. Uh, you can also check all this stuff out on our website online. There's a place to respond there as well if you're joining us uh, via Facebook Live or our online campus. I'm going to ask you to stand now as we conclude our time together. 
with a couple of songs. Uh, and the last song, AJ is going to kind of interweave some prayers for our church, for our country, and for our world.